So to me, great marketers are like detectives. Their job is to go in and uncover things that other people don't see and find gaps in communication, find gaps in messaging and, and be able to dig into those. And I don't really care what area of marketing you're in. You need to be able to dig into things and be curious and keep digging until you find something that, you know, the unknown unknowns that people haven't discovered. You're listening to the Paris Talks Marketing Podcast, where we interview top marketing leaders at high growth SaaS and other recurring revenue-based companies. Our goal with this podcast is to cut through the fluff and jargon of digital marketing to reveal what's really working at some of the fastest growing most successful SaaS companies today. The Paris Talks Marketing Podcast is sponsored by Hop Online, a performance growth marketing agency. If you like this episode and would like to have a similar conversation with someone at our agency, just go to hop.online, H-O-P.online, and book a discovery call with one of our strategists today. Now, let's get into the episode. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Paris Talks Marketing. And today, I'm with Joseph Lewin, who is the Director of Demand Generation at Proofpoint Marketing, and he's also the host of the Strategic Marketer Podcast. So first, Joseph, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Paris. This is going to be fun. Oh, yeah. Given that it was a relatively lean bio, can you tell us a little bit about who you are and what you do? Yeah. Well, I'm Joseph Lewin, (laughs) and uh, I work for Proofpoint Marketing. We focus on helping B2B companies, especially in technical industries, build relationships at scale. And so instead of trying to drive as many leads as we possibly can and throw them over the wall to the sales team, we're looking to help the sales team build deep relationships with prospects and industry influencers so that they build trust in the industry. And um, we've seen that that helps deals end up moving a lot faster in the long run when you build genuine relationships with people. All right. And are you all a marketing agency? Just for clarification. Yep. We're a marketing agency. Did you you work primarily with B2B tech-related companies? Yeah. So, I mean, tech-related is kind of right. So, I mean, I'd say like technical business services. So, you know, we work with different consultants that are working in technical industries. So like biotech or med device engineering companies, some in the manufacturing space. So just, you know, companies that are working Companies that have fairly large deals that typically take a long time and require a high level of technical expertise, mm-hmm. typically those companies have a very sales focus. And so helping them understand, okay, how do you start building that same rapport that your sales team does uh, much earlier in the process and without having to involve your sales team as much so that you can build deeper relationships faster? Mm-hmm. Got it. it. Is this similar to account-based marketing, what you're describing? Yeah. I mean, I guess it depends on whose definition of account-based marketing, but we definitely help some companies with account-based marketing. I wouldn't say that that's necessarily our primary approach. So account-based marketing to me is when you're picking, you know, five, 10, 15 top accounts that you really want to reach, and then you're creating Mm -hmm. marketing that's very specific to those accounts. And you're primarily building relationships with people in those accounts early on. So for some of the companies we work with, that makes sense. You know, they do have certain companies that they really want to connect with. So they're going to focus on those. Whereas generally speaking, we're looking to help companies figure out what's different about them and create messaging for their sales team and for their website that helps them to differentiate themselves from the beginning um, and have a focus that's more on helping companies figure out exactly what it is that they do and why they're uniquely positioned to help, you know, their customers. 
So, you know, essentially it's helping them to take a position that's in a less crowded area. Like I had a graphic the other day that I created where it's a picture of New York City and then a picture of this like countryside. And it's talking about how instead of trying to build something in this super crowded city, you know, go build something special Mm -hmm. where there's a less crowd and and where you're able to differentiate a little bit better. And in in order to differentiate like that, where you're going to not be going head to head with all of your competitors by creating messaging that's compelling, the idea is you want to attract people over to where you are. So instead of Mm -hmm. them having to search through the crowds to find you, you're going somewhere where you're able to say, hey, come over to us because what we do is different. We're not the same as everybody else. And it, it is a messaging thing, but it's also part of the go-to market strategy for these businesses. So it's just helping companies find a place where they are able to say, hey, come over to us because what we do is different. We're not the same as everybody else. We're not doing things the same as everybody else. We're not interested in doing things the way that everybody else does and helping them to position themselves so that when their messaging hits the market, there's a certain group of people. Now, you know, it might be a large group, might be a small group, depending on what they're going after. But that group of people is going to say, oh, wow, that resonates with me. Like somebody gets me, somebody understands the challenges that my company is going through. And so then those people are going to be uniquely attracted to working with their customers. So we're helping them to figure out how to differentiate and then how to create messaging that gets people to reach out to them and say, hey, I'm interested in working with you. So mm-hmm. rather than the sales team having to go call 100 people a day or call 200 people a day on the phone or, you know, send out two or 300 emails to get a response. The idea is we're working with our customers to get people to come to them because what they do is different and because they understand their customers through customer research and then, you know, different messaging exercises we do with them really helps them stand out. So then, you know, that also is combined with running paid media behind the messaging so that we work with them, we do customer interviews help them differentiate that messaging, but then you have to figure out, okay, well, what really does resonate in the market? So a messaging exercise is never just a one-off. You sit down in a room with a bunch of people and you come up with an idea and then you're done. It takes a lot of research and then you're having to make assumptions and have a hypothesis. And then you need to test that in the market and see, okay, what connects and what doesn't. And so then running paid ads behind that messaging. And then we start to learn, okay, what is it that actually does resonate in the market from this messaging? And then Mm -hmm. we refine that, you know, and keep working on that. And then we also work with a lot of our customers on launching podcasts. And that, again, helps them to build relationships with current customers of theirs, prospects and other industry influencers. And it's just helping them to be known, you know, for people to know that they exist Mm -hmm. and for people in their company to build these deep relationships with them. And then, yeah, I mean, typically we're working on building out campaigns that help to connect marketing and sales together. So a lot of times you have companies in these technical services that focus primarily on sales because sales is the closest thing to revenue typically. So then you you start with sales, but then eventually you're going to stagnate a little bit. You're going to hit hit a point where you're not going to be able to grow as fast as you'd like. And so there's typically going to be an inflection point for companies that we work with where either they've stagnated in growth or they have new growth goals that are way beyond anything that they've had in the past. So then they bring in marketing because they want to accelerate growth. But what happens is marketing is focusing a lot of times on awareness and on helping people understand what you do and, you know, gets into that messaging side and different differentiation. But then there's usually this disconnect between what the marketing is saying and then the sales team. And so there's a really important piece that we focus on that we call relationship enablement. And it's what is the specific marketing content that you need that ties right into the sales team that helps them start conversations with prospects that ultimately turn into sales conversations. But there's specific types of content that move out of the, hey, we exist phase into the, hey, we're actually here to help you and we have expertise. 
And then those pieces of content help the sales team to naturally start sales conversations rather than just cold calling or cold pitching people all the time. Okay. It sounds like, Joseph, that the key aspect of your engagement with clients is about helping them to improve their communication and their messaging with their customers. And you mentioned that as part of that, you are surveying or maybe even directly interviewing the customers of your clients. Did I hear that correctly? Yes, absolutely. And I guess that probably comes at the beginning of an engagement. Yeah. So yes, it typically comes at the beginning of the engagement. We are working on pivoting on that a little bit. So typically that started as we're getting into it, two, three months in. Um, but what we're starting to do is try to get some of the messaging as early as we can. So we're going to sit down with the team, with our customers team and learn about what it is that they're saying now and start to learn about their business and try to get some really early interviews and then start running some paid ads behind that as early as possible. Mm-hmm. Because sometimes it takes, you know, two, three, four months to be able to get access to our customers' customers and, you know, with schedules and everything, it can take a long time. So the faster we can start getting some of that messaging into market and testing it, the faster we can, Interesting. you know, So even even ahead of doing customer interviews, if it takes time, and I've experienced this too, that it's great in theory, but getting those contacts and actually getting put in touch with customers can take some time. And in the meantime, you run paid ads to test different messaging. And I'm very interested in how you set up those experiments. For example, would it be paid search and you're testing headlines and and copy of descriptions? Do you test other types of creative display or video creative? Or how do you set up these experiments? Yeah, so definitely on the paid search side. I mean, you nailed that one exactly. So, I mean, again, it kind of depends on the type of business. So some of the customers that we work with, there is search that's going on. And so typically we're going to try to set up demand, you know, we call it a demand capture campaign. So there's already mm-hmm. people who are looking for that service. You're going to set something up. And typically we're just trying to get that out as quickly as possible because it's, it's low hanging fruit. But then the next step would be, yeah, can we test some of that messaging and paid search if there's people who are actually searching for it? Some of our customers are in very specialized industries and people really aren't searching that much for what they're doing. And when their customers have a need, it's usually word of mouth. Their prospects will have worked with somebody in the past and they'll reach out to them or they'll talk to their team and say, hey, has anybody worked with the vendor in this category or area before? So in, in those cases, then paid search isn't as effective. So in those cases, we're really going to focus more on paid social uh, you're running, you know, LinkedIn campaigns, for instance, or just depending on where their audience is hanging out. And those are going to be testing messaging and maybe some creative depending on the situation. Okay. Yeah. How do you measure in paid search? How do you measure which message copy wins? Is it click through rate or some other APIs that you look at to determine the, the winner or the loser? Yeah. On the paid search side, my specialty isn't really in that side. I'm, I'm much more on the on the messaging <laughs> portion of it. Yeah. So I have somebody on my team that's a killer performance marketer. So I kind of lean a little heavier on him. But yeah, I mean, click-through rate is definitely uh, on paid search. One of the main mm-hmm. things that we're looking for there, you know, okay. is the message yeah. resonating? That's the main idea. Right, right. Yeah. I mean, I think that action is pretty telling too. If you have a compelling message, it will receive a higher click-through rate. And on the paid social side, where you've got more dynamic types of content in the mix. Do you look at things like the engagement with that piece of creative in terms of likes, shares, comments, et cetera? Or are there other ways that you look at a winning experiment for social, for a messaging experiment? Yeah. I mean, click-through rate is always going to be something that's helpful because if people are clicking through, then you're saying, okay, this message was resonating enough for them to take an action to go to the website. But yeah, I mean, on paid social, we're definitely looking much more early on at engagement rate. So are people engaging with it? Are they commenting? Are they sharing it? 
I mean, we had in some of those early experiments, somebody that's in there in the company's ICP repost an ad and say, hey, there's a lot of wisdom here. This is a good message that people should be paying attention to. So that to me is a really good indicator that the message is resonating if you have a prospect sharing your ads. So, you know, anything like that is going to be what we're looking for. And then as we go along, I mean, early on, we're going to focus much heavier on text, you know, with some creative to go around it. As we go on and we start to record podcast episodes, for instance, then we're going to take cuts from those with some of that messaging in it and run those. And, you know, again, you're kind of, you're looking for percentage viewed and, and, you know, other engagement metrics on the videos as well. So that typically Mm -hmm. comes a few months down the road once we've gotten a little further into content creation with them. Okay. I see. Now a quick word from our sponsor. The Paris Talks Marketing Show is affiliated with Hop Online, a performance marketing agency focused on high growth SaaS and other recurring revenue-based companies. If you like the flow of this conversation, you may want to consider jumping on a discovery call with someone at Hop Online. A discovery call is similar to my podcast interviews in a lot of ways. We'll get to know your business goals, competitive landscape, and marketing needs. And you'll almost certainly come away with some new ideas for how to accelerate your customer and revenue growth. If you're interested, go to hop.online, that's hop, H-O-P dot online, and book a discovery call with one of our strategists today. Now, back to the episode. And podcasting, I definitely want to talk about podcasting. We're both podcasters, I think fairly successful podcasters, and I love doing it. I guess you do too. And I believe firmly that podcasting is now the best core of of any content marketing strategy. I, I think it's the best B2B content marketing strategy that there is now, especially that LinkedIn has evolved so much as a great promotional vehicle for that content and all the repurposed content. Tell me about your, your podcast management service that you do for your clients. Are you getting these clients before they've launched a podcast? Are you getting some of them that already have one and you're helping them take it to a higher level? Let's start there. I mean, who are the best prospects for that type of a service? I mean, for us, most of the time, any of the customers that we're working with are going to be a good fit for a podcast because it's, I mean, if you're selling like $500 products or $5,000 products or even $10,000 products, you're still going to have value from it, but maybe not quite as much as if you're in a complex B2B sale. And I mean, some of these companies are, their average deal is going to be 50 grand to like $2 million, depending on what level of engagement they're working with. So you build one quality relationship through a podcast and it could pay for itself for like five years. So in that case, you know, I agree with you, not only from the content side, but also you're building relationships with people in the industry and pretty much Mm -hmm. any B2B company is going to benefit from it. And then you asked about, whether we work with companies that already have podcasts. I mean, we would, but to this point, it's usually starting it from scratch. So we're helping them as we're doing the customer interviews and we're learning about their business and their business model and how they operate. We're going to work with them on the angle for their show and develop the premise and then help them with how to structure the show, how to find guests and training the hosts and kind of getting them all set and ready to go and then launching the podcast and getting Mm -hmm. it going. How long does it usually take from absolute ground zero without even a name of the podcast or any a real idea for it to getting the first episode of it aired? How long does that typically take? Yeah. So this is something that's important to know. I think this is painful for me because I like things that I like getting things in market as fast as possible. So it doesn't go fast when you're starting a podcast like that. So mm-hmm. I'd say six to nine months typically to get it from the idea of a podcast and saying, hey, we're going to do this to actually kicking off with that first episode. 
I mean, usually we'll have at least two or three episodes recorded and pretty close to being ready to go before we launch the first one. Mm-hmm. That way, you know, we're able to stick on a consistent cadence that way and, you know, keep things rolling. But with some of these companies, they're not really comfortable pivoting super quickly on something that they've invested in like that. So we really want to make sure we understand the messaging and position of their company and how they operate before we come up with the name and the premise for the show. Because most of these companies aren't going to then say three months into it or two months into it, hey, let's change the name, let's pivot, let's you know totally change yeah, directions for the a show. Yeah, you commitment. You don't really change the name of the show after six or 10 episodes or make a major pivot. You have to be pretty intentional about doing it the right way from the very start. Yeah. And then it's training their team and helping them to understand how everything works. And, you know, a lot of times they're not marketers. So, you know, they, don't, they haven't really been on video before a lot of them or certainly not in that context. So just helping to train them up and work through that definitely takes a little bit of time. But I've been really impressed and I really enjoy the shows with people who are technical experts that get on. You know, they're they're definitely still personable and good at expressing their ideas, but they're not necessarily people who have been in a position to do that before. And I've really enjoyed the types of episodes and the quality of the content that's created out of that from people who haven't done something like that before. Is it harder to take an introvert and make them a dynamic podcast host? Uh, Yeah, I mean, (laughs) that would definitely be a, a little bit of a challenge. I'd say most of the time, the people that end up being the host of the show, they're not necessarily like crazy extroverts, but they're good at having conversations. I mean, if somebody has a hard time sitting down and like having a conversation with somebody and keeping the conversation going, I wouldn't say it's impossible, but it would definitely be a little bit more challenging. But where I'm from, we call that the gift of gab. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Uh, But that's what it is. It's a certain degree of comfort and the ability to keep a conversation going and also to be able to steer a conversation into unplanned places, let a conversation take its own course and its own momentum rather than try to stick to a prescribed set of questions and that kind of classic interview format. Yeah. One thing I'll say about podcasts, I think as marketers, starting your own podcast or being involved in a podcast yourself where you're hosting it is extremely valuable for growing to me, all the skills you really want to grow in as a marketer. So to me, great marketers are like detectives. Their job is to go in and uncover things that other people don't see and find gaps in communication, find gaps in messaging and and be able to dig into those. And I don't really care what area of marketing you're in. You need to be able to dig into things and be curious and keep digging until you find something that, you know, the unknown unknowns that people haven't discovered. When you figure out whatever those are, whether, and it could be, you could be in marketing ops, which I would say is kind of the furthest from that, from like the content marketing side, there's still unknown unknowns that you need to dig in and talk to people in the organization and figure out to really be able to create measurement programs that work, for instance. Or, you know, if you're a performance marketer, you've got to be able to dig into the numbers and ask questions and, you know, even get outside of the numbers and go talk to customers and sit in on sales calls to understand what's going on to do your job effectively. So when you host a podcast, you have to get good at asking questions and going deeper and really being curious. And then a lot of times that also includes writing posts for your podcast. It includes writing maybe summaries for your podcasts and doing outreach and understanding how that works. And those are all skills that are going to benefit you. And the closer you are to content creation, the more that's going to benefit you. But anyway, just Mm -hmm. as a note, I think it's a very valuable skill set to be learning and developing. Yeah. Couldn't agree more. I think there's so many hidden benefits of doing a podcast. 
And maybe that six to nine months of ramp up, that's maybe a big factor, which prevents a lot of people from getting started because it is a pretty big upfront effort to get the whole thing off the ground. It's almost like starting a very small media company of your own, either that's connected with your company's brand or your personal brand. And that's where, that is where I want to go next, actually, which is the branding, because I think that that is essential. In most cases, you're helping B2B clients launch a podcast so that they can improve their thought leadership and they can achieve, they can get closer to this concept that you call relationships at scale, which I really love that. When it comes to the branding element, I think there's two paths you can go down and maybe there are more. And I'd love to hear your thoughts on this. Maybe there's three paths. I'm sorry, three paths. You can, you can stick with company brand and you can say this is company name, podcast, or some derivative of that. You can take a category approach, which I think, I think is kind of how you all are doing it, the strategic marketer podcast. Or you can call it the Joseph Lewin podcast and you can decide that. And of the clients that you work with, I imagine that you've probably taken all three of those paths before. How do you, how do you make that decision? How much do you factor in other competitors that have similar types of podcasts? And ultimately, how do you make that decision? Are we going to go to build this person's personal brand, which will certainly benefit our company by association? Or do we want to stick with the, reinforcing the company brand with the podcast? But yeah, I hope that was clear. <laughs> yeah, so actually, it's kind of funny because the strategic marketer is is my personal podcast, and I was doing it before I started working here. But the fact that you're okay. associating that with our company shows the value of people within your company building a personal brand, and that's something yeah. that our founders, Mike and Gabby, really understand. And part of the reason they wanted to bring me on the team was because I've built a personal brand and they understand that they're going to get a certain level of credibility by association with my personal brand and vice versa. Like I also gain that by being associated with them and their personal brand and, and the brands and the, and the company brand as well. We do have a company podcast. It's called the Master Marketer Show. So similar, it's not called the Proofpoint Marketing Show but on purpose because we usually take the approach of, I guess, doing two things at, at the same time. So one is going to be focusing up I guess going back to to how you frame that, maybe we're doing all three of those things at the same time and and building mm -hmm. all three at the same time. So you have your company brand and you are going to build that. That takes a long time to build your company brand and to build trust. I mean, if you're Salesforce, sure, <laughs> you know, lean on your brand and call it the Salesforce podcast or whatever. And you're going to get a lot of people just because you're Salesforce. Sure. In a lot of these smaller B2B spaces, we're working with companies that are not the industry leader. And so at that point, your brand doesn't really mean that much. It means a lot to you. And I think that's probably the biggest challenge is the companies that we typically work with. I think that people understand who they are and understand who they are more than the market really does. You know, maybe there's yeah. maybe a lot of people in their space have heard of them before, but their brand isn't really as strong as they think. And that's where leaning on, you know, more of the category side of things where you're saying, hey, this show is about this category. And the reason for doing that is you can say all day long. Our team, you know, we have the best experts in the world and, and you know, we're all super smart and we're going to be able to help you grow. Nobody's going to believe that. When you call yourself an expert, nobody believes you. Everybody's going to say they're an expert. When you say we're different, nobody's going to believe that you're different. You have to show those things. And so that's where when you focus more on the category side of things, you're saying, hey, we're going to bring people onto our show that are really, really smart. And when you bring those other people onto the show from outside your company, you get credibility by association with them. So people are going to start to assume that you're an expert because you have experts on your show. 
And then if the people on your team who are the hosts are really good at asking questions, you can show your expertise by the questions that you're asking. For instance, you're asking me very specific questions about paid search and how we would measure the success of messaging through paid search. That shows that you have a level of expertise in paid search. So if somebody's listening to this and they want help with paid search, they're much more likely to reach out to you as the host because you're showing that you have expertise in that area by the question that you asked. And then, you know, you're having me on. And so then, you know, you're also getting exposed to my audience and getting credibility there, you know, as well. So to bring it back, uh, I would say typically we're focusing the podcast more on the general category that we want our customers to be seen as experts in. So for instance, we work with a customer called SSI Strategy. They're in the biotech space. Their podcast is called The Emerging Biotech Leader. And a lot of the guests they have on the show are either currently running a startup biotech company or they've done it in the past and they've you know, mm-hmm. scaled up of, um, from a very small biotech company and you know, successfully launched. Those are the types of companies that they help and that they want to work with. So when they're educating that group of people, um, and they're being seen as as a group that's going to, you know, if you go to them, they're going to really be able to help you and they understand your problem, much more likely to connect with them. Simultaneously, you know, there's company branding on there and it gives them content to post on their company social accounts and they're running paid ads through their companies. So then, you know, they're getting their company branding through that. But then the third piece of it is the personal brand side. So then it's important for the hosts of the podcast, especially to be active on the channels where their prospects are hanging out or where industry influencers are hanging out and creating content and posting content could be clips from the podcast, but going beyond that is really valuable as well. So, you know, we do training with our customers on personal branding and building their personal brand. Yeah, I I know I'm I'm monologuing here, but just to tie all that together, you need all of that at the same time. And the companies that recognize Mm -hmm. that their employees building their own personal brands that's really the most valuable thing you can do as a company because all of those people have relationships already and all of those people can be building relationships and they don't just have to be sales or marketing or, you know, in some business development side of things, they can just be an expert on your team. That's actually doing the work themselves. If you have, you know, five, 10, 15, 20 people in your company that are all sharing their expertise, all growing their personal brands, that's going to grow your company way faster than you trying to build your company brand by itself. Well, hold on a second, Joseph. What if, if you're saying to me to invest in, to take my top people in our company and invest in their personal branding, won't that lead to, to them getting poached? So I guess if you have to focus more on, on the culture of your company at that point and be somewhere that people want to stay. So. Myself, Joseph, not, not on the culture building side. And, and um, I was playing devil's advocate with that, with that question because I wholeheartedly believe that the best thing that you can do for your employees is to empower them, to build personal brands, empower them with their careers. And if you are going to lose them for other, it, that would happen anyway, basically. Um, and the be- if you want to retain talent, you've got to build an amazing culture and show people a career path. But part of that is empowering them to build their personal brands. And now with LinkedIn, that that is such a great vehicle that has emerged for building personal brands in ways that you couldn't do before, at least in B2B. And here's what I'm struggling with is there's, there's about 15 people in my company that I am begging to be more active on LinkedIn. And essentially I'm asking them, I want you to build a personal brand, not, not for the sake of the company, but we will benefit. But first for the sake of yourself, this is the best thing that you can do for your career, whether you stay with us a few more years and move on or whatever the case is, but you need to build a personal brand. And 
I haven't been that successful. And, and I don't know if my messaging isn't, isn't spot on, but how do you motivate and really activate your key leaders in your company to start building their personal brands if they haven't really done anything yet and they're skeptical about getting started with it? That's a great question. I think there's one piece that we didn't mention when you're saying, okay, you, you have your top talent that could get poached. And there's, there's a hundred areas that you could go in on that particular question. And, you know, that depends on, on uh, your company, because if you have a super strong culture, you're not going to be as worried, you know, and all of that. On the flip side though, another benefit that you get from having multiple people in your company that have a personal brand is recruiting. I mean, it helps you recruit better talent and people who want to build their personal brand and understand the value of that are going to be much more attracted to come to a company that's saying, hey, we want you to grow your personal brand because it's going to help you. And yes, we'll benefit from it. Just exactly what you said. To me, that's something that I will not go and work for another company unless they have that attitude in the future, because I understand. I mean, I, I got my current role from starting my podcast, interviewing my current boss on the show and him asked me to apply for a role that they hadn't even like put out in the wild yet. And, oh. and it was through LinkedIn, you know, through him being active on LinkedIn and me being active on LinkedIn. And I had already seen Gabby, his wife's posts on LinkedIn before and understood about their company culture. So like me being here is from me and Mike and Gabby and Proofpoint building personal brands and focusing on that. So it helps you with recruiting people who have a personal brand. I would say probably the, the two things I would recommend doing to help build a personal brand would be one, well, I'll say that three things. We keep doing that. <laughs> three things that would help you. First one is you doing that yourself. You know, and you, you being an example of building a personal brand and investing in that, and then you making room and time for your team to do that. Because part of it is just that people mm -hmm. are busy That's and they don't have time. Important. So mm -hmm. if people, if you make room for them and give them training and, you know, help them activate, that's going to be number two. Then number three is hire some people into your company over time who already have a personal brand built and empower them to be doing that and helping them elevate their personal brand beyond where it already is. And that's going to help, I think, encourage and inspire other people in the company to do that when they see their peers active and when they see the value that that person is getting. They can leapfrog, they can leapfrog grad school and, and save on that tuition. <laughs> Maybe yeah, so. I, I don't have a college degree at all. And I'm in a position because of the personal brand that I built to be able to get a, a job, yeah. uh, you know, a director level job. And it's because of the personal brand I've been building over the last few years. Yeah. Let's now zoom in to you and your personal brand because you've got a style that I haven't come across quite the type of style that you have on LinkedIn. You have very consistently been posting. I'm, I'm going to scan through some of these now. You have these graphics and it's almost every day, I suppose. And a lot of them are relatively simple, but they're also profound at the same time. So that graphic that I showed earlier on the screen, it's why would you fight to be another studio apartment in New York City when you can be this really cool one, one in a million ranch house out in the countryside with all these great features and all these resources? I probably paraphrased that really badly, but where did you get the idea and the inspiration to do that? Do you do that all by yourself? Do you have a team or do you have a, somebody else that helps you turn those ideas into art? And how, and how do you keep that well of ideas and inspirations going day in and day out? I wish I was posting them every day. <laughs> Certainly not quite every day, but... Uh, right, it seems I'm, like it, which means it's, uh, it's, it's working. So for years, I was focusing on written content and I've definitely gotten better at writing over the years, but my focus has always been very educational content. So like writing things that I've really thought through and you know even making it super practical. And that content doesn't always do super well on social. And that's led me to kind of to change my approach. And so 
if you want to, you have to get people's attention on social. And I didn't value that nearly as much in the past as I do now. You've got to be able to grab people's attention. So that's where I've kind of shifted in in my mentality from, okay, how do I, how do I educate people? How do they, how do I help them to be better marketers to how do I get them to change their worldview and the way that they believe about something in the marketing space? And if you can get somebody to change their worldview, then they actually care about the educational stuff that you have to say. So, you know, I can write a blog blog post or I could have a 40, 50 minute podcast episode and people will listen to that if I've gotten them to change the way that they think about something, if if I've gotten them to change their point of view. People make decisions on on emotion, right? And they use logic to back it up. So if we just kind of get back to the psychology of how people buy, most of the time marketing focuses on how can I logically convince people that my product is the best? Or how can I logically convince them that they should take this particular route with marketing strategy? And again, that's kind of how I always approach it. But if you want somebody to change their worldview, if you want them to have a different perspective, you have to get them emotional. And that, you know, people who are typically very emotionally driven, but that's also true of CEOs and the executive level. If you differentiate your product, which I think you need to in order to stand out in the market, now you have the challenge of convincing people that the way that you do it is the right way to do it. And if you just say what we do is the right way to do it, you're using logic and they're going to use logic to back up the decisions they've always made because they want to feel good about their decisions. So you have to figure out a way to get them to go, oh my gosh, I've never thought of it that way before. And like click into that emotion where they they laugh or you know maybe they they snicker about it or maybe even they totally disagree with you and they, they get heated about it and get angry. Any of those responses, you're much more likely to ultimately get that person to change their perspective. So anyway, going to the graphics, that's where I've really switched and gone, okay, how can I say something in a very simple way and almost like make light of it or make funny? Like I have the chicken and the egg post or, <laughs> or one of the best posts that I've ever done was, talking about dark social and it's connecting the dot, like a dot to dot elephant. Anyway, you'd, you'd have to go look at it to see it. I saw that one. So they, you know, they're very simple to me. I don't even think that they're really that good. Like I'm not an amazing artist, but it's just taking an idea and trying to simplify it down so that somebody looks at it and they think of it. They think of this complicated idea in a new way because I'm comparing it to something else that's much more simple. Anyway, I'll stop there for a second because I, Mm -hmm. (laughs) I know I kind of ran around in a circle. Didn't yeah, answer all your well, questions. <laughs> I couldn't resist going to Proofpoint Marketing website, and you do have pricing starting at fifteen thousand per month. I have to say, as an agency myself, I don't have a pricing page, and I think most agencies don't have transparent prices on their websites. Do you think that they should? So there's a lot of different ways to approach pricing on your website. I mean, the simple answer is I think yes. I think everybody should have some form of pricing on their website. The reason is everybody wants to know. And Mm -hmm. your buyer most likely has some idea of what they're going to be able to spend. And so if they know that their max budget is five grand and our minimum is 15,000, then they're going to just say, I can't afford it. Or they're going to contact us anyway. And they're going to just say, I can't afford $15,000 a month, but I really want to work with you guys. Is there anything you can do? But it's setting the conversation up where they have an understanding for what we do. Mm -hmm. Pricing also says it's a positioning tool. Pricing is is an amazing marketing tool that a lot of B2B marketers forget about. Your pricing says something about the type of offer that you have. So if our minimum was 15,000, sorry, $1500 a month, that says something about our business model and the, and the type of people that you're going to be working with. And I'm not saying it in a negative way. People who are able to skim down their offer and provide something at $1500 a month minimum, 
they have a totally different business model and they're going to hire different employees than we're going to hire. And you're going to have a different type of output. So then when we say, hey, we're at 15,000, it says something about the type of work that you're going to get and the quality of work that you're going to get. But then it also helps us weed out tire kickers. It helps us weed out people who aren't going to be a good fit or who aren't willing to make a significant investment in growing from the marketing side. So I would say yes, but then just to clarify different ways that you could go with pricing, you could have a packaged offering, simplify what you do down, make it a packaged offering and say, hey, we have three offerings. Here's exactly what you get. They're 10,000 a month, 15,000 a month and 20,000 a month. Here's exactly what you get. Not everybody can do that. Not everybody wants to do that, but that's you know one route that you could go. If what you do is always custom, you can do what we have on there, which is you have a minimum. You know, we start at fifteen thousand dollars a month, and you know, then people know if they're if they have a five thousand dollar a month budget, we're not going to be a good fit for them. And then another way you could do it is you could have certain entry level products that you offer. So you know, maybe you have your recurring monthly as an agency that you do, but you could have a messaging package as a way for people to start with you, and maybe that's. $2,500 or five grand or 10 grand, you know, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. And you can have those entry packages and you can have two or three of them that are kind of the things that kickstart a relationship. And I mean, I'm a big fan of having some kind of a lower dollar offer, and then you could put those on your website. So there's lots of ways that you can do pricing that just give people something that they can see where they go, okay, you know, this company's transparent and I have an idea of what, what I'm going to spend. Anyway, I'll stop it there. <laughs> yeah, that's great. Well, this has been fantastic, Joseph. I think we're running a little low on time now, but we could probably go on a lot longer. There's so, so many more things I'm curious to ask you, but we'll have to save that for, the, for your next guest appearance on the show. As we wrap up here, is there anything that I didn't ask you that you wish I would have asked you or anything that you think is worth sharing that can benefit our audience? I would just say, I mean, as a closing thought for people that want to, want to do more effective marketing, You've got to spend more time. I almost don't even care how much time you spend talking with customers. You need to spend more time talking with customers and really understanding what's going on. I mean, that is the most important thing you can do as a marketer or as a business is understand what is actually going on in the market, what pain points do customers have and getting that information. And that's one thing, again, that's awesome about podcasting and building your personal brand is you get to have those conversations in a real authentic way and really start to understand what it is that people in the market are looking for. So yeah, if you're, if you're not doing customer research and you're not diving into that, I highly recommend focusing on that. <laughs> Great. Well, Joseph, where can folks who are listening find you? What's the best place to find you online? Uh, I mean, LinkedIn, definitely always hanging out there. And yeah, my name's Joseph Loon. If you look me up, you should, should find me. And then you can look up The Strategic Marketer. If you just look it up on Google, you should find that or on your favorite podcasting app and come hang out, talk mostly about B2B marketing with people that are way smarter than me and uh, come join in the conversation on that one. Awesome. Thanks very much for the time today, Joseph. I really enjoyed it. Yeah. Thanks for having me on. It's been fun. To our next, uh, our next talk. Absolutely. All right. Take care. Another great episode in the books. Hope you enjoyed it. If you want to get notified when future episodes drop, be sure to subscribe to Paris Talks Marketing on your favorite podcast player. And to learn more about our growth marketing agency, visit hop.online. That's hop, H-O-P dot online. Have a great day.